Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 23. You know, good news, bad news, right? I mean, all week I've been spending time with this passage and just spending time with the cross, to be honest with you. And I have to tell you, I mean, I, I've, I've done this study before, but it's just been an overwhelming week for me. Um, because when you go to the cross, I mean, it is overwhelming. There's two sides of it, right? I mean, you're overwhelmed by the love of God. You're overwhelmed by the grace of God, the mercy of God. I mean, you're overwhelmed, you know, that here is Jesus, the only innocent man ever to live. You know, honestly, I mean, the only one who's ever been sinless, the only one who's ever been, um, you know, perfect. You know, we talk about the fact that the wages of sin is what? The wages of sin is death. And so when you really think about it, theologically speaking, he's the only man who didn't have to die. And yet the Bible says that that's why he was born. He was born specifically to die. And so when you go to the cross, it's overwhelming because again, you see the two sides. You see the grace of God, but you see the wrath of God. You see the mercy of God, but you see the holiness of God. You know, and, and we talk about the gospel, the good news, but to fully understand the good news, you've got to really grasp the bad news. And the bad news, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory, that every single one of us in this place are worthy to die for our sins and die in our sins. But because of God's grace and his mercy at this central point there at the cross upon the shoulders of Jesus, that's where you find the love of God demonstrated uh, by providing a savior. You know, I went to the doctor this past week for my annual checkup and the good news, bad news, sometimes that's not always a good thing when the doctor says, I've got good news and I've got bad news. Well, my annual checkup was on Friday. I did blood work on Monday and I should have known better. And Amber made fun of me after the fact, but she's like, you know, lab work, you're supposed to fast. Do y'all know that? You're supposed to fast. Okay, I don't remember. Uh, but especially you're not supposed to go to Starbucks and get a triple caramel macchiato before your lab work, which is what I did, okay? So Monday, I got up early that one of our uh, members was having surgery early Monday morning. So I went over to the heart hospital in Norfolk, left there about 7.15 and my, didn't think that my office was open yet to wait. So I'm like, I got time to spare. I'm just going to give blood. Why not go get a triple caramel macchiato? So I did. Had a great morning, felt good. And so I go into the office and uh, on Friday, following up from the lab work, and my doctor said, uh, Heath, can I ask you a question? I'm like, sure. He said, did you eat or drink anything before you gave blood on Monday? And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I did. He said, what did you <laughs> drink or eat? I said, I drank a triple caramel macchiato. He said, well, I've got good news and I've got bad news. He said, uh, what do you want first? I said, well, give me the bad news. He said, the bad news is your numbers have, have spiked in every area. I said, what's the good news? He said, the good news is we blame it on the triple caramel macchiato. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, that's a good report. So they pricked my finger, ran everything, and everything came down like tremendously. It's a, I will never drink another caramel triple macchiato if that's what it does to your heart rate. But anyway, uh, so it reminds me of a story. Transition here reminds me of a story. But I'm gonna give it a shot. I haven't done it in a while. God went into the doctor's office and the doctor said, I've got good news, I've got bad news. What do you want first? And he said, well, I want the good news. He said, the good news is you've got 24 hours to live. Guy's like, uh, did you misunderstand me? I said, I wanted the good news. He said, no, that is the good news. He said, well, what's the bad news? He said, the bad news is our office tried to contact you yesterday. All right, so <laughs> good news. And, all right, that, that wasn't bad. <laughs> and so again, we talk about the gospel, the gospel, right? I mean, that's the, that's the reason we're here. I mean, that's the reason I'm standing here. That's, that's why we do what we do, to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We do it because of what Christ did for us. It's the gospel, it's the good news, the good news for sinners, the good news for those who should die with a debt before a holy God. 
But it's the bad news that allows the good news to really come to light. The bad news is that we're sinners. And so what you find at the cross, and it's overwhelming, what you find at the cross is, yes, the love of God, yes, the grace of God, yes, the mercy of God, but you find the holiness of God, the wrath of God. And there at the cross is where those two things collide. So I'm just gonna be perfectly honest with you, man. I tell you, it's, it's been overwhelming. And I even felt it this morning during the eight o'clock service, just even trying to communicate because it's like, it, it's humbling. When you, when, you, when you start to look at these seven sayings of Christ, I mean, at the pinnacle of his suffering, I mean, the first saying that we're gonna look at this morning, Luke 23, 33 and 34, I mean, he deals with the subject of forgiveness. Yeah, take your Bibles there, I hear it. Take your Bibles, Luke 23, we're going to look at those two verses, 33 and 34. But it's an amazing thing to me that in, in the original text, the Greek text actually communicates that it didn't just say it once. Actually, when you dig into this text, what you will find is that Jesus more than likely was repeating this phrase. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. I don't know about you, but I don't do well with pain, okay? And, and usually my wife knows that if I'm in pain or if I have a headache, I can be very grumpy. I'm, I'm just not a fun person to be around when I'm in pain. But what you find here with Jesus, that many believe that this was the pinnacle of his suffering. He had just been beaten. He had just been scourged. And now the nails have just been placed into his hands. He's raised into the air. And the first thing he says in that moment is in the subject of forgiveness. Now, I struggle with that. Like, if forgiveness doesn't come natural to me because I, I feel like I'm a nice guy. And so if someone does me wrong, like, I, I struggle with that. Like, I have a tendency to harbor it, to be honest with you. I think that's probably why I struggle on the road so much on the interstate because, you know, someone cuts me off and it's like, I got it. And Amber's like, don't look at him, don't look at him. And I have to drive by and just see what the face of someone looks like that would do that to me on the road. And then I see it's one of my church members and I'm like, all right, that's humbling, you know. <laughs> or my mom, that happened one time, actually. <laughs> and I just have a tendency to just hold on to it. I don't know why. I mean, I think all of us in our flesh struggle with that, but I have a tendency to hold on to it. They used to talk about when we were, you know, playing athletics to stay in the present, stay in the present, stay in the present. And I remember what that meant, you know, don't get caught up so much in what happened the last place, stay in the present, don't get caught up so much of, of what's going to happen the next place, stay in the present. But I think in our spiritual lives that can be very true as well because sometimes we can get bound by what happened yesterday, what someone did to us yesterday, what someone did to cause me pain yesterday. Or even get caught up in being bound by what's going to happen tomorrow. How is this going to play out next week? Where am I going to be a year from now? And sometimes, whether it's the past or whether it's the future, we can get kind of crippled in that. And so Jesus, what you find here is the heart of the gospel. What you find here is Jesus at the height of his suffering, revealing a heart of forgiveness to those who did not deserve it. That's the gospel. You know, if you were to ask people, you know, what's, you know, what's the central message of Christianity? Well, you're going to get a lot of different answers, right? Especially outside the church. If we just went to a park this afternoon, it'd be cold. But if we did and went to the park and said, hey, what's the central message of Christianity? You're going to get a lot of different answers. Some people say, well, be kind to one another. Or, you know, uh, treat others as you want to be treated. Love your neighbor as yourself. But really what we find is that the central message of Christianity comes to one word. It's the word forgiveness. 
that Christ died to save sinners. Forgiveness, that is the central message of Christianity. The cross is the central message of Christianity. It is the place where the holiness of God, the wrath of God, the judgment of God met the mercy of God. That's why the Bible makes it very clear. It's under one name by which we are saved. It's not under a religion. It's not under religious activity. It's not under morality. There's one person because it's that one person who took upon his shoulders the wrath of a holy God for our sins. And it reveals his heart, man. Six hours hanging upon the cross, seven statements. And we're gonna look at it over these next seven weeks. Take your Bibles if you wouldn't stand with me. Luke chapter 23. And I pray this morning, no matter where you're at, Maybe you're here this morning and you're struggling with something that, of what someone's done to you and the enemy uses it in your life. Maybe it can consume you and maybe there's bitterness that has crept in. I pray that you would just go to the cross this morning and just spend some time there and see the heart of our Savior who offered forgiveness to those who were far from deserving it. To us. Luke 23, verse 33 and 34 says this. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And Jesus said, and as believed, he repeated this phrase over and over again. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they do. Join with me as we go to Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we are humbled this morning that you would even choose to love us. We're humbled this morning, Lord, because none of us deserve it. We're humbled this morning, Lord, because as we go to the cross, we see our sins. We see the depth of our sins and the suffering of our Savior. So, Lord, this morning, help us. Help us just take a little bit of what Christ endured for us to understand your love your grace, your forgiveness. And Lord, help us when others come in front of us who have wronged us, who have caused us pain. Lord, may we be like Christ and may they see Christ in us when that forgiveness is offered, whether there's an apology, whether there's sincerity, whether there is justice. Lord, may we be quick to release them and the situation into your hands. May Jesus be glorified and magnified. We thank you for all that you have done for us, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, really, you could honestly say the greatest injustice of the world is what we read about here at the cross. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it, it stimulates emotions when you read an article or you see something on, on television where you find someone who was locked up uh, maybe who was found years later innocent of a crime. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm just like, man, that's, you know, 20 years, you know, someone's locked away behind bars and then because of, you know, DNA technology and the advancement of it, it comes to light 20 years later that the person actually was innocent. And so when you think about that, go to the cross for a moment because every one of us really are guilty. We're guilty of sin before God. And so honestly, the only truly innocent man who has ever lived was Jesus. The only perfect man ever lived was Jesus. That's why the virgin birth is so critical to the doctrine of the cross is because he was sinless. He was perfect. He was the only one who did not deserve or have to die. 
And so what you find here in these six hours of statements is sandwiched and in between, you see Jesus call upon God to his father in the first statement, and then you see him do it in the last statement. And we'll see that the week after Easter. The first statement is a request that he makes to the father. He says this, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The last statement is that he makes is a release to the father where he says, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. Now we know that every single word spoken by Christ had a purpose. We see that all throughout the New Testament. But what you find in the very first statement that he speaks here upon the cross is he really answered our most important question, the most important question for every single one of us. And that is this, how can a sinful man, how can a sinful woman be made right, be reconciled to a holy, perfect and righteous God? And so what you find here in this first statement is you find the heart of the gospel. You find the subject of forgiveness. Now, many times when someone was being crucified, it was common that they would cry out these words. They would say, may my death atone for my sins. That's not what you find Jesus saying because he had no sins. But rather, what do you find Jesus saying? Basically, he says, Father, may my death atone not for my sins because I'm sinless, I'm perfect, but may my death atone for their sins our sins. He's the only man who's ever lived, honestly, who did not have to die. Romans 6, 23 tells us, for the wages of sin is death, where there were no wages of sin for Christ. And so he's the only man who's ever been born into this earth who did not, according to the law of God, have to die. But yet the Bible says that that was the very reason that Christ was born, the very reason that Christ was born so that it would all lead to this place here upon the cross where the wrath of God, the judgment of God was poured out in one place, his only son. And so honestly, when you think about it, our forgiveness, God has to take the first step, right? There's nothing we can do to accomplish forgiveness before a holy God. There's no religion, there's no righteousness. The Bible says even the greatest righteousness is of filthy rags. And so he has to take the first step. What do you find here at the cross? You find that step. You find God demonstrating his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, here is Christ now dying upon the cross. We talk about the free gift of salvation. Yes, it is free, but it did not come without a price. And so I encourage you, man, over these next seven weeks, just in your daily reading time, I would encourage you, spend time at the cross. Just go to the cross. Spend time in these final weeks, these final months of the Lord Jesus Christ as you make your way to Easter, as we make our way to our Good Friday service on that Friday and then to our resurrection service on Sunday morning. I would just encourage you, allow this to become a part of your daily life, to just go there. And see the great love of God demonstrated for you and I. And it really allows us to see our sins for what they are. I'm going to be honest with you. Part of the overwhelmness of this week has been just, just looking at what I've caused. The result of my ugliness. And you know what it does? It, 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 it allows us to kind of take a different approach to not just wink at the sins of our lives, but to see it for what they are and to see the consequences that it led to the suffering, to the pain, to the death of Christ. Now we know it didn't end there, praise God. But what we find here in this very first statement is the heart 
of the gospel. It was at the cross where the justice of God met the mercy of God and the result was the grace of God. Let's look at the very first thing. We're just gonna walk through it this morning. The very first thing, no coincidence, what does he say? Father, forgive them. Where do you find justification? We use that word all the time. Justification is found in one place. We are justified before a holy and righteous God through a person. The Bible says that person is Jesus. I'll hear people say all the time, well, what about other religions? Well, I see what you're saying. Well, what about someone who practices faithfully another religion or another set of beliefs? Understand, regardless of what religion you name it or what denomination you name it, it's what you do with Jesus because it's only through Jesus, the Bible tells us that we can be reconciled before holy God and that we're justified through Christ and Christ alone. There's a model he's given here, right? I mean, our ultimate goal should be to be Christ-like. If you were to ask us, you know, what's the goal of your life? Our goal should be, I wanna be like Jesus. I wanna be like Jesus more tomorrow than I was yesterday. I wanna be like Jesus as I get older. I wanna see maturity in my walk with Christ. I wanna look more like Jesus so that when I talk, when I act, people will see more of Jesus. So what a model he gives for us here. That in the moments where the people around him did not deserve forgiveness, when we did not deserve forgiveness, what do you find him doing? Not giving what they deserve, but actually releasing them into the Father's hand and offering grace. I mean, did they deserve forgiveness? Of course not. Do we deserve forgiveness? Of course not. You know, sometimes we can fall into this trap. Well, you know, my life's not fair. You know, it's not fair what I've gone through and it's not fair, you know, what this person did to me or what or the pain that this person caused me. And I understand that. There are many of you sitting here this morning who have been wronged by someone and you did nothing to deserve that. But how easy it can be where bitterness starts to creep in and we begin to harbor resentment and, and the enemy just slams the door wide open and it literally becomes a vine that chokes out the joy of the Lord in our lives. Think about this for a moment. If there's ever been anyone who's ever lived who had a right to become bitter, it was Jesus. He was crucified for something he did not do, sin, by the very people who were guilty of committing the act, sinners. So understand, allow this to bring peace to your heart. Have you ever felt alone? Have you ever felt like no one understands. Have you ever felt betrayed? Have you ever felt forgotten? I mean, we know that at this moment, the only disciple to be found was John, and we're gonna see him speak to him. Where were the other disciples? I mean, Jesus had shared his life with these men. They had seen that he truly was the Messiah, miracle after miracle after miracle. Imagine the moment here that Jesus is being crucified. Where are his disciples? How amazing is that in the days that we experience the emotions of, of loneliness and discouragement that, hey, we have a savior who understands. We have a savior that can actually identify with what it is that we're dealing with. He's not only dying for the ones who were crucifying, but there was also no sympathy shown to him. I mean, you see that in the crowd, right? I mean, there were those who were saying, hey, come down from the cross if you're really, truly God. There were those who were saying, well, he claimed to save others, but he can't even save himself. There were those that the Bible says were laughing at him, spitting upon him, beating him, mocking him. What an amazing model he is, practically speaking, for you and I, that although there was no sympathy shown to him, guess what he was doing? He was showing mercy to the very ones who did not deserve it. I've heard it put this way, while the world was doing its worst to Jesus, he was at that exact moment doing his best for the world. It wasn't that things got out of control. 
It wasn't that this was just chaos. No, this was a part of the Father's plan. This was something that God the Father and God the Son came to realize that, hey, this has to be done for the payment and penalty of sin. There has to be a payment. There has to be a substitution. And Christ became that. Listen to what Peter says, 1 Peter 1, 18 through 20. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down from your ancestors, but how? With the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or or defect. And look at verse 20. He was chosen before the creation of this world. It all came to this moment. We saw that in the book of Ezra. It was all building to a moment. The prophets were pointing to it. Hey, they were pointing to it. Even Isaiah, 700 years earlier, you know the passage, verse chapter 53, verse five through seven. He was wounded for our transgressions 700 years earlier. He was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes, we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. He opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent. So we opened not his mouth. It was all leading to this point. And at the height of his suffering, he's thinking about us. At the pinnacle of his pain, not thinking about himself, asking for his rights and demanding revenge or justice like we, like I, have a tendency to do. It's not what he's doing. He's praying for the very ones who are crucifying Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Now don't miss this. Even as God in Christ forgave you. Let's be honest, easier said than done. I think what comes natural, again, I know what's natural to my flesh is, is to hold a grudge against someone, to allow that resentment to build up. But I think about what Charles Spurgeon, he said, let us go to the cross to learn how to be forgiven, but let us stay there. Let us linger there. Let us sit there to learn then how to forgive others. The great Methodist preacher, Sam Jones, said this. He said, I will never get mad or stay mad with another individual unless they treat me worse than I myself have treated Jesus. So what do you do? You're sitting here, you've been wronged, you've been hurt. Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a husband, maybe it's a wife, maybe it's a parent. What do you do? I mean, you wanna offer forgiveness, but hey, maybe they're not repentant. Maybe they're not sincere. What do you do? What do you do to not allow the enemy to use it in your life? Well, let's just follow the model of Christ. What does he do? First of all, he prays for them. Let me tell you something. There's something powerful when you can take the person that has caused you pain and just pray for them. Lord, do a work in their heart. Use me to display your grace and mercy that Christ has displayed to me that I can now display to them. Pray for them. Number two, leave them in the hands of God. What do you find Jesus doing in this moment? He calls upon the Father, but he leaves them in the hands of God. Easier said than done. But let me tell you something, and I believe this. I heard this quote this past week, and I think it's so true. Forgiveness, I believe, is one of the clearest forms of evidence of godliness in an individual's life. Unconditional, unmerited forgiveness. I've seen this personally. I've seen it with families. I've seen it with marriages where it is very clear that it's the power and presence of God that is allowing this spouse to look at their husband and look at their wife and say, you know what? I'm not going to hold this. I'm releasing this. And you see it. 
You see it released. There's a peace that surpasses understanding. There's a joy that comes in their salvation. Now, again, it doesn't mean that there aren't consequences to their action. It doesn't mean that the enemy's not quick to try to bring it back up. But what do you do? You just constantly keep releasing it to the Lord, releasing it to the Lord, praying for the individual. And what happens? God covers those wounds. I've seen it, man. It's an amazing thing. Some of the greatest testimonies I've seen in my ministry are individuals who have been done wrong. There's no bitterness. There's no grudge. There's freedom. There's the presence of the Lord. Because what are they doing? They're modeling their Savior. They're modeling what Christ did for us there upon the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, let's answer some question here. Now, the first question we have to ask is, does that mean at that moment they were automatically forgiven, that there was universal forgiveness, whether the person repented or didn't repent or turned from their sins or not? Of course not. The answer is no. He was making it available, but it wasn't automatic. It wasn't automatic. I think about the Roman guard who, a little bit time later, and we're going to see, looks up and says, truly, you are the son of God. I think there could be a sign there of repentance, of recognition. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. He, doesn't, he wasn't saying just grant them all forgiveness regardless of how they respond. Of course not. Christ has made it available. Now, what does that do? That's, I believe, where the providence of God, the election of God meets the responsibility of man. What do we do with that? What do we do with that? Do we respond to it? With humility, because that's what it requires. I mean, for an individual to come to faith in Christ, what does it begin? It begins with humility. It begins with them recognizing there is nothing I can do in my own accord, in my own power to reconcile myself to God. That's humbling. There's no activity. There's no religion. There's no ceremony. There's nothing I can do as a sinful man before a holy God to reconcile myself before him. So it requires us to humble ourselves. and Say, not I, but Christ. And so obviously when he says this, Father, forgive them for they know not what we do, it doesn't mean that everyone at that moment was forgiven. It was dependent upon how they responded. It was dependent upon their repentance. But just think about the difference between then and think about the difference from to now. What was, what was it that was keeping the people of Christ's day from accepting him as their Lord and Savior? In a lot of ways, it was their ignorance. They didn't have the Bible. They didn't know the tomb was going to be empty. They didn't know that he would be victorious over sin, over death, over the grave. Did that excuse them? Of course not, because ignorance does not equal innocence. I've tried it with a cop and it does not work. <laughs> I didn't see the stop sign. I didn't see the speed limit. Remember that one, Amber? I'm not gonna talk about Amber this morning. Let's keep rolling. <laughs> but let me ask you this, 2,000 years now on the other side of it. We can't plead ignorance. We have God's word. We know what happened three days later. We know what God did through the apostles. We know what God did through the early church. We've seen what God did at Pentecost. We know the story. And so in our day and time, we can't claim ignorance. We know what God's word teaches us. And so how would you say, well, why do people today reject the gospel, reject what Christ did for them there upon the cross? I'll be honest with you, I think it's arrogance. We have the Bible, we know the tomb was empty, we know that he was victorious, but sometimes we look at it and go, well, I don't necessarily need that. I'm not that bad of a person. The Bible makes it very clear, all the righteousness and all the religion in the world cannot buy you one ounce of forgiveness because forgiveness is not for self. Forgiveness before a holy and righteous God is found in one place and one place alone, and it's found in Christ. 
found in Christ because that's where the two met. Love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, but don't miss the other side, the holiness of God. God can't turn a blind eye to sin. He would cease to be God to just say, hey, bygones be bygones, we're just gonna sweep it under the He wouldn't be God. There had to be a price. And what we find is that there on the cross, where it all came to end, it was Jesus who took your place, who took my place, and suffered, bled, and died for our sins. How in the world could we look at someone else and say, can't forgive you when we reflect upon how God has forgiven us. And so I pray, man, as you reflect upon this passage and reflect upon the cross, that it would change the way we look at our petty sins, that it would motivate us to be more like Christ daily, to love like Christ, to forgive like Christ, to live like Christ. Because the heart of the gospel tells us there has to be a price that is paid for our sins and either you can surrender and accept the sacrifice that was made by Christ on our behalf or the Bible makes it very clear or we ourselves will pay the price for all of eternity in a godless place called hell. Praise God he's made a way for us. But it's in one place and one place alone. And it's the blood of Jesus. Every head bowed and every eye closed.